Good morning, church. Today's scripture portion is taken from the book of Jonah, chapter 3. It is Jonah, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against in the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of God. many familiar faces and good to be here back. Um, God brought us back uh, to India to serve the Lord. Uh, in English world, those who understand English and maybe abroad, they, the ministry that we want to do is known as mustard seed. Mustard seed. Mustard seed is a spice which is there in every Indian home and mustard seed is there in the Bible too. And mustard seed is the impact that we want to make in India. So that's why we chose mustard seed. In Hindi, our desire is uh, that we communicate the ministry that we want to do by the word Sashakt. Sashakt means empower, empowering churches, empowering pastors, leaders. So that's what we want to do. Um, for today's uh, message, we will primarily focus on the book of Jonah, although we will be going here and there in the Bible, but primarily it will be a one sermon on the book of Jonah. There is a proverb in Hindi. You might have heard this proverb. The proverb goes like this. 
अकेला चला भार नहीं फोड़ सकता है अकेला चला भार नहीं फोड़ सकता है दिस प्रोवर्क कैन बी ट्रांसलेटेड एज अलोन ग्रेन कैनॉट बस्ट एन अवन A single, a lone grain cannot bust an oven. It simply means that a single person cannot make a huge difference. A single person, a lone ranger, cannot make a huge difference. Cannot accomplish anything great. Normally, in many cases, this proverb proves right. But sometimes in human history, there have been individuals who have proved this proverb wrong. You might have heard about Dashrath Maji from Bihar. Dashrath Maji lived near Gaya in Bihar. He dug up a hill with just a chisel and a hammer. And he did that alone to build a way through a hill. It took 22 years for him to build a way through that hill to accomplish that task. There was no health and medical facility in his village. For any medical treatment, uh, anyone who wanted medical help, they had to go to a nearby village. Uh, people had two options. Either people could climb that hill or go round the hill on a different route, a long route around that hill. One day, Maji's pregnant wife fell while climbing that hill. Sadly, she died because she could not get medical help in time. This tragic incident shook Maji. So he decided to dig up a hill by himself and to build a road through it so that people could go and uh, find medical help and treatment. When he began his task, many people began to mock him and call him fool. But those things did not weaken him with unwavering determination and single-minded passion Maji accomplished that great gigantic task. Now Maji was not a Christian, but with his hard work and passion, he accomplished a great task. Brothers and sisters, think about this. If God's power is available to a person, how much more could be accomplished? If God is with a person, how much more could be accomplished? Even seemingly impossible tasks could be accomplished if God's power is available to his people. There is such a story in the Bible. It's the story of Jonah. Actually, it's the story of God who brought the mightiest revival in the most wicked city of Nineveh through the most reluctant of all the prophets. So as we study book of Jonah, we remember three points. Wicked city, rebellious prophet, and compassionate God. The whole book is about these three things. Wicked city, rebellious prophet, 
and compassionate God. Please look with me to the chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Chapter 1, book of Jonah, verses 1 and 2. It says like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. The great almighty God calls Jonah and commissions him to go to Nineveh. Jonah was commissioned to preach against the great wickedness of the city. You see, the Bible tells us that the God of the Bible is holy. In chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, prophet Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Your eyes are too pure to look at evil. The true and the living God of the Bible is holy. He cannot tolerate evil and wickedness. God's holy character demands that justice must take place. And God's justice also demands that not even a single sin should go unpunished. Yes, God is gracious and God is compassionate. But when he shows his mercy, he doesn't skip his justice. God doesn't compromise his character. So, Jonah must rise up and Jonah must go. He must preach against the great wickedness of the city of Nineveh. Now, Jonah was a prophet in the 8th century BC, Israel, the northern kingdom. He ministered during the reign of King Jeroboam, who was the son of King Jehoash. If you want to read more about Jonah, the first time he appears is in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. During that time, when, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah for the first time, he prophesied that the boundaries of Israel would be fully restored, just like in the times of King David. And Jonah's prophecy did fulfill. And we can imagine how blessed Jonah must be, happy. He prophesied and God fulfilled his uh, prophecy. Now, the word of the Lord came, comes again to Jonah. And this time, his, uh, his ministry, prophetic ministry, involves a foreign trip. His message was not a favorable one, and his audience was greatly wicked. Are you with me? Listening? Okay, I have a question for us. For me as well, okay, so it should challenge both ways. Think about this. Consider your, yourself for a moment in the place of Jonah. You're a prophet. God calls you. God gives you a message. The message is one of destruction. And the people God is sending you to are perhaps the wickedest, the most wicked of all people in the world. That's what Jonah felt when God called him. It was certainly a difficult task. But God commissioned him. And he must go. 
There is no other option. When God calls, His people should go. And there is no option. He thinks for a moment that he can disobey God and run exactly to the opposite direction from Nineveh. So he goes to Joppa. Okay? He pays the fare. He boards the ship that is heading towards Tarshish. On the ship, he somehow finds a quiet place. And he goes down and sleeps. You know, he's a fugitive. He's running. He's trying to run away and hide from the presence of God. In chapter 1, the theme of the presence of God is very common. Perhaps Jonah was thinking God would, you know, give him up. Maybe God will find some other person, some other prophet for the task. But God doesn't leave him. He comes after Jonah. In chapter 1, we are confronted with this creator God who is sovereign, almighty, and all present. People cannot run away from this creator, sovereign God. This great God hurls a great wind in the sea. And causes a great storm in the sea. That the ship was about to sink. Professional sailors are stressed out. They are panicking. What to do? Trying their best. Somehow they have to save the ship. They threw, they began to throw the cargo. Each one calls on to their own gods. The sailors knew in their heart that it was not an ordinary storm. They were really afraid. Now death was not simply a thought, but a very likely reality. In his efforts to do every bit he could, the captain of the ship goes in the lower deck of the ship. And he finds this man sleeping. The Bible says he was not just sleeping, he was fast asleep. And people wonder, how could you sleep in, in a boat that is rocking in the storm and everyone is panicking? But somehow Jonah was sleeping, fast asleep. The captain wakes him up and says, wake up. Maybe your God will take notice of us so that we will not perish. You see, in the midst of the serious storm, this captain shows a remarkable hope. He's a Gentile. He doesn't worship the God who is Yahweh. But in the midst of the storm, he shows that remarkable hope. What he hopes in uncertainty and ignorance will not be in vain. His hope will not be in vain. The God of Jonah will certainly listen and God will save them. They will not perish. The sailors did every bit they could, but the storm has not died. Every moment they were feeling the power and the might of this creator God. The God who doesn't give up. The God who persists. 
the God who is not disappointed and defeated by the disobedience of his prophet the God who is triumphant and never loses any battle the God who pursues and the God who rules everything in his created order this is the God the sailors were facing no wonder sailors are helpless stressed and panicking maybe there is still something that they could do somebody suggested let's cast lots and so they cast lots to find out who is responsible for the storm and the lot fell on Jonah now everyone knows in the ship who is responsible for the storm the sailors began the investigation and they found out everything they needed to know Jonah suggested that they should throw him into the sea and then the storm will die but the sailors are afraid how can they throw the prophet of God in the water in the sea so they tried to drop him safely onto the shore but failed they cannot fight against God who is creator so finally they threw him in the sea Jonah drowns in the depth of the ocean but God then commissions a great fish to come and swallow Jonah and the Bible says Jonah lived in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights the near-death experience humbled Jonah and brought him to his knees finally he prayed to God now he sees the sovereign hand of God in all his troubles and then he proclaims that salvation belongs to the Lord that sentence salvation belongs to the Lord in chapter 2 verse 9 is the key to the whole book in fact it's the key to the whole Bible because salvation does belong to the Lord salvation indeed belongs to the Lord it's a proclamation by someone who himself has received the salvation of God salvation of the the salvation belongs to the Lord means that God is the source of salvation it means salvation doesn't come from anyone but Yahweh salvation from the slavery of sin is not by our religious works it's not by our moral deeds but by the work of our gracious God God prepares the plan for salvation only God accomplishes the salvation and only God applies the salvation in the lives of the believers you see in chapter 1 and 2 we have already seen thus the sovereign and the mighty hand of God the Creator God is sovereign over creation and now here in chapter 2 Jonah proclaims that God is not simply sovereign over his creation but God is also sovereign over salvation God's sovereignty simply means that God is in complete control of everything that he has created 
God's sovereignty also means that he does whatever pleases him. You see, nobody can twist God's arm and force him to do what he doesn't want to do. Can we? We cannot. So God does whatever pleases him. And he saves whoever he wants to save. No one has any right to question God. And this is very important for us. This was important for Jonah to learn. No one has any right to question God. Why did he save those he has saved? This is one of the lessons Jonah learned in God's school. God saves those he wants to save. The reluctance of his prophet doesn't thwart God's plan. The wickedness of people doesn't thwart God's plan. Nothing in this world can thwart God's plan of salvation. God exercises complete control over who and when sinners get saved. And is this not a beautiful thing to ponder? No sinner is too wicked that God cannot save him. How good is that? How good is that? And as we will see that this truth, the sovereignty of God in salvation and the sovereignty of God in, in creation, these are two pillars which are so important for us and they are comforting for us. And they are challenging just as they were challenging to Jonah. So God is sovereign and we mere human beings, we ought to be on our knees praising this almighty savior who saves people not because of us not because of his people but despite of his people the savior who saves people hallelujah praise the lord praise the lord that the savior reigns now back to the story jonah has learned his lesson and you already know the story of Jonah, I'm repeating, but I have to be faithful to preach in whatever I, ha I have been uh, assigned to preach. Uh, he, he learned his lesson that he cannot continue to disobey God. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The Lord is not merely strong and almighty. But the Lord is also gentle and kind. He deals with Jonah tenderly. If you want to know the tender heart of God, please read book of Jonah. How he deals with this rebellious prophet. So God deals with Jonah tenderly. And in his kindness, this is God's kindness, that God commissions Jonah again. Second time to go to Nineveh. Jonah is someone who has experienced the salvation and compassion and kindness of God himself. And through all of that, he has been prepared to go to Nineveh. Now the Bible says that Nineveh was a very big city. A very great city. But from the very first day, Jonah started preaching the message he has received from God. What's the message? 
40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. His message spread everywhere. As soon as and as far as the word spread, the Holy Spirit began working in the hearts of the people of Nineveh. You see, in the Bible, in the, Bible the, the first book in Genesis, we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over this chaotic world. The same Spirit who was hovering over, this, uh, over the waters at the beginning of creation to bring order and beauty, the same Spirit started moving in the hearts of the people of Nineveh to bring repentance and faith in their lives. The news of Jonah's proclamation reached the king of Nineveh. Now think about this king of Nineveh. He was perhaps the strongest man in the world at that time. In terms of power and authority. He was not only strongest of all, he was the most wicked of all. Remember, what's the city about? Nineveh is all about wickedness. So he was not only strong and powerful, but he was also wicked. Now, if these two combinations come, you can imagine what people can do, what havoc people can bring. And that's what he was. But the word of the Lord fell on his ears. And he, it crushed. It fell on his ears and worked like a hammer to crush his heart of stone. He came to his knees, repenting of his sins and pleading for forgiveness. The Bible also says, as we read in chapter 3, that he issued a decree throughout the kingdom proclaiming that everyone, big and small, must observe fasting and cry aloud to God for forgiveness. Everyone, big or small, must turn away from their evil ways. Everyone, big and small, must turn away from their violence. And everyone put on sackcloth to, to display that they feel sorry for their sins. Chapter 3 verse 5 says, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, the Bible says, put on sackcloth. That was perhaps the greatest and the mightiest revival in the history of mankind. The whole great city of Nineveh repented and believed God. What a great and powerful work of the Holy Spirit. No one remained untouched by it. Everyone experienced salvation. The people of Nineveh were perhaps the most wicked of all people at that time. And what about the message? What about the prophet, sorry? We read in the Bible that he was reluctant. He was rebellious. And what about the message? The message was not a message of love and compassion. It was the message of destruction. It was a message which would not bring perhaps even a single soul to heaven, let alone the entire city. The people in the city did not see any miracle. They did not hear any testimony. They did not attend any evangelistic crusade. 
And yet they were saved. How amazing. They were certainly not saved because of Jonah, but despite of Jonah. And humanly speaking, there is nothing in the story that accounts for the salvation of these people. The whole credit goes to God and Him alone. And that's why, my dear brothers and sisters, salvation belongs to the Lord. It does. It does. In reality, it does. It was the mission of God to save the wicked city of Nineveh. And this was another lesson that Jonah learned in God's school. God was determined to save them right from the beginning. And that's why Jonah tried to run away from God. For the first time when he received the call, he knew that. That's why he was running in the opposite direction. Jonah very well knew that God was on a mission to save Nineveh. And he knew the character of God. He knows who God is. He knew that God was gracious and compassionate. And that God was slow to anger. And that God was abounding in love. And God was one who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew all of that. And he also knew the character of not simply who God is, but also what is his word, the word of God. Because the Bible says God's word never fails. It always accomplishes what desires. So Jonah knew who God is. Jonah also knows what the word of God is. And so he knew that if he goes to Nineveh, what's the result is going to be about? That's why he wanted to run away from his call. His mission. But why is it that Jonah did not want Nineveh to be saved? Now Nineveh was not merely a great city and a wicked city far removed from Israel. The Bible also says that Nineveh was the capital of Assyrian Empire. And Assyrian Empire was the enemy nation of Israel. They wanted uh, Israel's destruction. So Jonah did not want God to save his enemy nation, his enemy nation and his enemies. He hated his enemies so much that there was no thought in his mind if God could save his enemies. That's why when God relents and does not bring destruction upon Nineveh, Jonah becomes really upset with God. He's angry with God. He was so angry that he wants to die. In chapter 4, again, we read how God deals with the problem in Jonah's heart. God shows compassion to him. And at the same time, God wants to expose the sin in his heart. And God wants to challenge Jonah to bring a monumental shift in his thinking. Jonah must understand God's heart. Jonah must look at things from God's perspective. He must care about the things which God cares about. 
See, pleading for death is not a solution of the problems, but killing the problem of narrow nationalism and racism and selfishness and comfort seeking is the real solution to Jonah's problem. This is not Jonah's world. This is God's world. Although the world is fallen, God cares for his world. God loves sinners. He cares for them to be saved. God is gracious. That means God saves those who don't deserve to be saved. God saves sinners without any merit. God is also compassionate. That means God shows mercy to those who are helpless and needy. The Bible says God is slow to anger. That means he exercises patience and doesn't pour out his wrath on sinners quickly. So as to give them opportunity to repent of their sin. The Bible also says God abounds in steadfast love. His chesed. That means God fulfills his covenant promises despite of people's wickedness. You see that the people of Jonah's day, the 8th century Israelite people, they were wicked people. They used to worship idols and you can read them about in 2 Kings. They are the people who are wicked and God must punish them. God must perish them. But God is faithful to the promises that he made to their forefathers. God know, Jonah knows God's character in his mind. But now he needs a heart replacement surgery. A great transformation. He cannot afford to seek his own personal comfort and the well-being of his own nation. While at the same time God is on a mission to save the sinners from around the world. Jonah must come on board with the vision and mission of God. You see, right from the beginning, God wants to bless the nations and all the families of this world. Think about the call that God gave to Abraham. God wants to bless all the families of this world. And since then, from the call of Abraham, God is on a mission to bless the families and all the jatis of this world. That's why he sent Jesus into this world. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his begotten son, the only son, that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, shall not perish but have eternal life. The Bible also says that this God sent Jesus as the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Jonah is confronted with this God who loves the world and wants sinners to be saved. Now unfortunately as we read book of Jonah we don't see him accepting and submitting to this God. Dear brothers and sisters the book of Jonah ends with a question. A question from God to Jonah. And a question from God to us. God asked Jonah, 
should I not have compassion? Should I not have compassion for the great city of Nineveh? And God is also asking us this morning, should I not have compassion for, for the great nation of India? Should I not have compassion for the great city of Delhi? What's going to be our answer? We don't read Jonah's answer. It's not needed. The necessary thing is, how would we answer this question? How would I answer this question? How would you answer this question? Nineveh was a very great city, both in size and population. And by the way, in the same way, India is a great nation, both in terms of size and population. And so is national capital Delhi. Like Nineveh, India is also far removed from the true and the living God. Like Nineveh, India also needs the saving grace of God. Like Jonah, we have also received the commission from our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations, all jatis, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. The Great Commission does not start and finish with evangelism. The Great Commission starts with evangelism and goes on into discipleship, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, Jesus said to his disciples. Our job as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ is to spread the message of his kingdom in our nation and to make disciples, to make disciples, to make disciples. Our job is to teach those new disciples to obey everything Jesus has taught in his word, the Bible. The book of Jonah challenges us to obey our God and to fulfill the commission we have received from him. Let's not make the mistake Jonah made. Let's not find a quiet, peaceful place and be fast asleep in our rebellion and wickedness. Let's not be selfish. Let's not only be concerned about our own personal comfort. The problem is not that there are no good people in the house. The real problem is when the house is being robbed and its walls are being dug down, the good people who are in bed are too fond of the warmth to go downstairs to meet the burglars. Our comfort is killing our passion for mission. Our indifferent attitude is killing our passion for mission. Our busyness is killing our passion for mission. Our worldly ambitions and dreams are killing our passion for mission. The disciples are losing their saltiness day by day. They must do something or else they will be soon trampled underfoot. When God commands, we must rise up. Rise up at the command of God and accomplish the task 
that God has laid before us. Perhaps not every one of us is like Jonah. But some of us are certainly like Jonah. We don't want our enemies get saved. We want their destruction. We hate them so much that we feel so bad even at the thought that God might save them. Make no mistake. Our God is also the God of the whole universe. He is also the God who created 7 billion people who inhabit this present world. They are created in His image. And God desires them to be saved. God is our Savior. Salvation belongs to Him. And God desires people of India to be saved. Let's look at things from God's perspective and care for the things that God cares about. You see, we may not see the revival that Jonah saw in our day. But if we are not deterred, if we are not discouraged, and if we are faithful and patient, we will reap a great harvest in our land. We know we are weak. And that should bring us to our knees. Lord, please do your mighty work in our nation. Lord, please do it despite of us. And that's very important for us to learn. I remember uh, a real incident that happened with me. I was, I was in Delhi serving with SDC. I went to take a theology class uh, in ABTS and a lecturer came and he, before he started his course, he said something that just broke and shattered everything I was thinking about ministry. And he said that, uh, God works and He saves people not because of us, but despite of us. And you know, when we, when we are young and enthusiastic, we think that God is working in the land because of us. And God will stop working if we don't work. You know, this is one of the lessons that I learned in my life. And this is one of the lessons that Jonah learned in his life. That God works in, in God worked in Nineveh. Not because of him, not because of his preaching, not because of his attitude, but despite of him. And I think uh, we as Christians should also, of course, we must try, we must do our best, but hoping and thinking that it's not because of what we are doing that God is working. But God is working despite of us, because we are weak. You see, God doesn't need us. God is our almighty self-existent God he doesn't need us but he wants us God doesn't need you but he wants you God doesn't need me but he wants me would you be his hands and feet would you be his hands and feet to take the gospel to new places would you be his mouthpiece to preach the gospel to those who are far from Christ. Let the true Christian never turn aside from their great high calling to preach the gospel. And if he preaches the gospel, he will have completed the work for which the Holy Spirit called him. May the Lord protect us 
from cowardice. May the Lord awake us from our lethargy. And may the Lord use us, however we are, for His kingdom. And my dear friends, brothers and sisters, uh, let's do all that we can do. Trusting that the Lord will choose His people and bring out uh, from, our, this, from our great nation, India. God loves our country. Whatever it is, He loves it. And He wants people to be saved. He saved me. And He wants to save people like me, many more in Delhi, in North India, in the whole country, India. So let's be in prayer and let's look to the Lord now as we pray. Dear God, we want to thank you for this morning. Lord, this is your day. Lord, we come here to worship you. And thank you for allowing us to worship you, to praise you, uh, to honor you. And thank you, Lord, for giving us a small glimpse of you, you who are creator and sovereign. And we could learn about your sovereignty in this world, both in creation and in salvation. And Father, we pray that you would help us, O Lord, to look at things from your perspective. Help us, O God, to care for things which you care. And help us, O Lord, to rise up from that fast asleep. Lord, we cannot afford to sleep. We cannot afford to seek our own personal comfort while you are still saving people uh, in our nation and around the world. And Father, we pray that you would bring a great transformation in our heart. That when you say, should I not have compassion? We say, of course. You will and you can and you will. And Father, we pray that you help us, O Lord, that we may be able to do whatever we can. Small things, baby steps to reach out to our country, our neighborhood, our capital. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.